0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. Have you ever found yourself in the midst of a situation that you don't know how you're going to handle? A situation that you are not sure how it's going to turn out? Have you ever faced a situation that somehow seems bigger than you are? Maybe even making you a little fearful of what may lie ahead? If you answer yes to any of those questions, then I think you will be in a better position to understand and empathize with what the psalmist was feeling when he penned the 20th Psalm. It is generally recognized that this psalm was written for a special occasion by David. That special occasion was that the king was about to embark upon an expedition, a battle against an enemy. It is liturgical in nature, meaning that it was written to be recited in the court of the tabernacle by the high priest and the people. It sort of presents the idea of an exchange. The king is uncertain about the future of the battle and as a result what was going to happen to him and his kingdom. The people of Israel are pictured in the psalm as gathering around their king and offering him hope in the name of the God of Israel. In this time of crisis, it appears that many questions come to the mind of David, and the psalm presents answers to those questions. The questions themselves do not appear, but the answers do. It is a most powerful method of presentation. The point is that in the time of crisis, David finds the answers he needs. The psalm is as applicable to us in times of crisis and trouble as it was to David. The first question that is answered is, who can you call? When we see ourselves in a time of crisis, who can we call? Who can we count on to help us when we are in need? Well, look at Psalm 20 and verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. David was going to war with uncertainty about what was going to happen. In the way this psalm is written, the people around him tell the king that God is the one who can respond to his needs in the days of trouble. There may be friends and relatives who can and will help. But God is the one we can always count on. God is the one upon whom we can always call. I used to get a lot of calls in the office from people I don't know who find themselves sin and in a crisis situation. Usually it involves food, money, and a place to stay. I used to have a rather large listing of various places that our government and society in general offer in the way of help. There are food banks, support groups, shelters, and so on that have been created to help with some of these situations. But in spite of all this help, the fact is that God is the one we can count on whenever we are in trouble. We find in Hebrews 13, the last part of verse 5 and all of verse 6, encouraging us with these words. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? God has promised that he will be there for us, and we can have confidence that he will help. We can count on God when we call on him, wherever we are, at any time, we can come into his presence for help. Remember Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul wrote, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a blessing! We can be confident that in times of trouble, we can take our needs to God, and he will respond by giving us the peace necessary to deal with the crisis. The second question answered in the 20th Psalm is, who will help? Psalm 20 and verse two tells us, may he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. It is believed that David was going into battle. He seems a bit unsure that he can win. He must not be certain his army is strong enough to engage and defeat the enemy. But, as the psalm is written, the people offer him a resource much more powerful and reliable than the help of men. They direct the king to the help of God. There is nothing better than to know that God is on our side and that he will equip us with what we need to succeed. What more encouraging statement can be found than Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32? It tells us, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God sent his son to die for us. When we call on him for help in faith, He will not withhold the help we need for all of our struggles. Think about it. Are any of us at this time of our lives struggling with temptation? God will help if we're faithful Christians. In 1st Corinthians 10 verse 13 we are told no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Are any of us hurting over loved ones for some reason? God understands. In Luke 19 and verse 41, Jesus is depicted as weeping over the city of Jerusalem, filled with the very people who in a matter of days would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Whatever our crisis might be, God will help. The third question answered in Psalm 20 appears to be, what will help? The people, in the way the psalm is written, tell the king that he can have confidence in that he has been worshiping God faithfully. Verse 3 says, May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. The king had offered the sacrifices that God required prior to making his battle plans. As a result, he could have confidence that God had accepted his offerings and would therefore go with him into battle. I think this helps us to understand a part of the role of our worship to God. One reason we worship God is because he absolutely deserves our praise. Surely Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 points that out where Paul wrote, Now to him who is able to do exceeding, abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God can save us. God can help us. God can do more than we ask or even think. Worship serves to remind us of what an awesome God we serve. But worship also serves to build us up to face the problems of life. Consider 1 Corinthians 14, containing a discussion related to conduct in the worship assemblies. In verse 26, Paul wrote, What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation? Let all things be done to edification. What is done in worship is also to serve for our edification. It is meant to build us up so that we can face the world in which we live more effectively. How important it is to our general well-being on this earth to worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The next question that appears to be answered in Psalm 20 is, What do you want? As the psalm was written, the people say to their king in verse 4, May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. David, in this context, had a battle plan. He had taken counsel and had come up with an approach to take. He wanted to win this battle and had worked out a strategy to do so. So, the people asked that God will fulfill the desires of his heart, win the battle and work through the king's plan, his counsel, to achieve the victory. When trouble arises, as it inevitably will, God is there to help. He knows our hurts and he knows our struggles. In the great sermon on the mount, Jesus reminded us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, Therefore do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. God is watching us as we face our struggles, and he wants to give us what we need. If that is peace, he offers us peace. If that is mercy, he offers us mercy. If that is hope, he offers hope. God never promises to give us everything we want, but he does promise to give us everything we need. He will be there if we call on him and trust him. I'm reminded of that wonderful statement the Lord made to Paul after he besought him to remove the thorn in the flesh that tormented Paul, the affliction that he referred to as a messenger of Satan. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, we find the following. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God promises to meet the needs of his faithful children and to help in time of crisis. And we've already seen that according to Ephesians 3 and verse 20, He is able to do exceeding abundant beyond all that we ask or think. The next question that appears to be answered in the 20th Psalm is who will care? When a person becomes a member of the body of Christ they find themselves a member of a group of people who will rejoice in their salvation. Psalm 20 and verse 5 says we will sing for joy over your victory And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. As the psalm is written, the people are depicted as promising the king that they will rejoice and sing about his upcoming victory in battle. That is what the Lord's people should do in times of crisis when among us there are those calling on the Lord. God's people rally to offer support in the truth. Just think about it. When a person becomes a Christian and surrenders their will to God through obedience to the gospel, all heaven rejoices. Remember Luke chapter 15 and verse 10? In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I find it so uplifting to know that God has designed his church to be comprised of a great group of believers who are to care about each other? The next question answered in Psalm 20 appears to be, "Who will make the difference?" Oh, well, look with me at verse six. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. When the battle is won, the people know who to thank. God gets the credit for the victory in spite of the king's plans and preparations. The king is victorious not because of himself, but because of his trust in God. When the king trusted in God, the Lord saved him by his right hand. When we get right down to it, God alone is the only one who makes the difference in this life. Think of the significance of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-24. through 24. He wrote, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. No matter what we face in life, the only one who can make any real difference is the Lord. He alone can save us. He alone can lift us up to heights otherwise unattainable. He alone can give us the victory. Then the final question seems to be, who do you trust? Looking at verses 7-9 7-9 through 9 of Psalm 20, David wrote, Some boast in chariots, and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord, may the King answer us in the day we call. The enemy seems to have had more firepower, more chariots, more horses. He trusted in his numerical superiority to achieve the victory, but Israel and her king trusted in the Lord. While the enemy was defeated, God led his people to victory. So the question is, when push comes to shove, who do we trust? There are many voices in the world today trying to tell us how to live our lives. From philosophy to technology There are many who do not hesitate to give advice on how to live, how to raise a family, how to make a living, and on and on and on and on. But eventually the time comes when we will find ourselves in a battle in which no one can help, no one that is except the Lord. The question is, who will we trust? God says to trust in him. Let's close with the words of Jesus from John 14 and verse 1 as we conclude the last answer to the last unspoken question, Who Do We Trust? Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Thank you for listening.